Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you in the room and see you guys online as well. I've been sitting at the back there and keeping an eye on the chat and seeing everybody interacting, and it's, um, it's so good. I know we're still not all in the same space, but we are still all one church together, and that really is our desire that we continue to be one church in this strange, odd interim period where we are beginning to get back to normal, but perhaps not quite there yet. Um, If you've been watching the past few weeks, you'll know that we've been going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, Although what we've discovered, of course, is that it's not just to the Ephesians, but it's to um, us as well, because Paul writes this letter to the church, the church at large. He has in in mind um, uh, other believers, as he writes, and it's full of all these kind of big theological ideas that he likes to kind of band around. And he, he talks about this new life that we have in Jesus um, and all the things that we have in Christ. Um, and it's been, it's been maybe a heavy couple of weeks with some of the, the theology. Um, but the letter is also a deeply personal one as well, because in it, Paul contains um, or writes rather some prayers. He includes some of his personal prayers for the church and therefore us. So, for example, um, in chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, we read Paul praying to God, the glorious Father, that he may um, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we may know him better. He asks that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which we have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power. And, and what I learned from those incredible words is that uh, Paul is a lot better at praying than I am. Um, he's essentially, he's like, you know, that, that guy in the prayer meeting, you know, the one that, that like stands up and spouts these incredibly beautiful, awe-inspiring, theologically rich words, and, and you just sort of sit there and think, well, I guess I'm not praying out loud today then. I'll just be quiet and think about how dumb I sound. Or is that just me? It might just be me. That's fine. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever prayed for the eyes of anyone's heart to be enlightened or a, a glorious inheritance. My prayers normally go something like, yeah, sorry, God, I did it again, uh, but I'm struggling. So if you could help, that'd be great. Amen. Um, but, you know, that's fine. It's not a, it's not a competition, is it? Um, at least not one that I'm winning. Um, but today we're going to be looking at the second of Paul's prayers in this letter. Um, and I would like to say that it's not as good as the first, um, but it is, it's, it's really good. So if you do suffer from prayer envy, I'm just warning you up front, <clears throat> get yourself ready. Um, so we're in Ephesians 3, if you've got your Bibles there, um, and we're going to read from verse 14, and the text team are going to put the words up on screen as well for us. This is what he says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. 
And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, I told you it was a good one. And we know it's a proper prayer, don't we? Because he finishes with Amen. Um, Which, although I am sort of joking about, is an interesting um, point. Because his earlier prayer, back in chapter 1, doesn't finish with Amen. Now, of course, not all prayers have to finish with Amen. But actually, I think the reason it didn't was because Paul hadn't finished the prayer that he was praying. I think this prayer in chapter 3 is actually the end of the prayer that he started way back in chapter 1. I think he just got a bit distracted in the middle of it, a little bit sidetracked. You see, we have to remember when we read our Bibles and and this letter in particular that chapters and verses and subheadings that we see in our translation, they weren't there in the original. Paul would have been a right weirdo if he'd included chapters in the letter that he was sending. They were just added later on to kind of make it easier for us to navigate. You know, you can imagine how hard Sunday school would have been if the teacher had said, right, kids, I want you to find the bit about the thirsty deer in Psalms. Go. And by the time anyone had found it, church would be over, wouldn't it? And so the the chapters and the verses, they're there just to help us navigate our way through. But sometimes, and this is where we need care, they end up creating division where there was no division intended. Here, for example, at the start of his letter, Paul is praying for power, but then he pauses to explain exactly what that power looks like. He says it's the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead in chapter 1, verse 20. And then he goes on in the next chapter to explain that we also were dead, dead in our transgressions, but we also have been raised to new life Um, in Christ. We've been made alive in him. But then he goes on to explain even further, and he talks about how originally some were out, but, but now everybody is in, that we are all members of one body. And he says we can approach God now with freedom and confidence, chapter 3, verse 12. And then he says, for this reason, and for this reason, all the stuff I've been going on about for this start of the letter, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. It's almost as though he's just remembered that he's in the middle of a prayer. And you see, I think here Paul is coming back to what he started. Now, why is that important? You you know, so what? Well, it's because everything that Paul has written for us so far in this letter fuels this prayer. It's like he's been laying down these sort of theological logs and these, um, you know, briquettes of truth, and then suddenly he throws on the match and the whole thing just ignites. So, for example, in verse 15, when he says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives his name. Remember, in chapter 2, he talks about how people were no longer foreigners and strangers, but citizens, members together of, of one household. We're all family, he's saying, under one name. Paul, like the the master preacher that he was, is driving home his point. There's no more Jews or Gentiles. We're all one family. And then he says, 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Remember, that's the the power he was praying about in chapter 1, this incomparably great power. The same power, as is explained, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms and has raised us and seated us in the heavenly realms. He says, I want you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. And he's spoken about the Spirit as well, hasn't he? Loads in chapter 1, it's the the Spirit that brings wisdom and revelation. In chapter 2, it's the Spirit that gives both Jews and Gentiles access to God, that brings about peace and unity. And in chapter 3, it's the Spirit that reveals the mystery of God to the world, which we looked at last week. And now he prays that that same Spirit would strengthen us with power, the power to raise us to life in our innermost being. You see how... Rich and incredible this is when we recognize it's the same prayer that Paul has been praying and explaining and encouraging us with since the first chapter. If you like, this prayer is is the icing on the cake that Paul has been baking for three chapters. I sort of like to imagine as he was um, speaking these words out and his scribe was um, jotting them down, he would just get more excited and more sort of emphatic as he goes along. And he starts out, guys, I want the the eyes of your heart to be enlightened and and I want you to know the hope that we have and the power. Oh, let me tell you about that power. It's such an incredible power. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead and it raises us to new life as well. And and you know what? We we were dead, but now we're alive and, and he's brought everybody in, Jews and Gentiles, and we're all here and we're all members of one household until he arrives at this moment of ecstasy, this, this beautiful prayer. And he says, I pray out the glorious riches. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long and high is the love of Christ. And that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. It's, like, it's just like the prayer bursts out of him, isn't it, onto the page. And he uses such vivid language and, and imagery. It's, not, it's almost as though he's sort of moved beyond the head knowledge and the, the, the stuff that he was trying to teach. And now it's about something deep inside. It's about something transformative. It's about waking up to a new reality. Because there's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God for ourselves. Praise that we may know him in our inner being, not just on the surface, not as, as like an intellectual exercise, but that we might actually be transformed by him. He prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts. When you, when you dwell somewhere, you, you live there. It's the place that you go back to time and time again. He prays that we'd be rooted and established, fixed, with roots that grow down deep. And together, he prays. Remember how much he's spoken in this letter about how we are to be together. We are all together. We are all one family. Together, we would grasp how wide, long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ to be filled to its full measure. Now, if at this point um, you're feeling a little bit cynical, um, as I sometimes uh, do, you might be thinking, okay, Paul, that's great. God's love is big. I need to let Jesus into my heart. Um, I've definitely heard this sort of talk before. What's your point? Well, I think this is why Paul prays this rather than teaches it. I think this is why he prays it rather than teaches it. Because in as much as we might know 
that we are loved by God. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so, that old adage. As much as we may know it, how good are we really at allowing our lives to be shaped by it? How impacted are we really by the love of God? Do we live in that reality? Would we say we are secure and rooted, established in love? Or are we maybe only occasionally aware? Perhaps when, um, you know, we're having one of those beautiful moments of worship where we get lost in awe and wonder. Or, or maybe when someone is praying for us or, or, or someone is being kind to us, suddenly we become more aware of the love of God. But what about the rest of the time? Because, you know, despite knowing that we're loved by God, knowing that we're forgiven by Jesus, knowing that we're free to love others, we still often think the opposite. Sometimes we imagine that, that maybe God has had enough of us. Or worse, that maybe he is displeased with us. Or even worse, sometimes we imagine that maybe God actually doesn't want anything to do with us anymore. Sometimes we think that, that we've kind of moved beyond his forgiveness. Oh yeah, you know, you might have forgiven me in the past, but, you know, not anymore. He must, have, he must have had enough by now. Sometimes we may even think of ourselves as unlovable or irredeemable, a screw-up or a failure. And, and we can end up carrying around shame and we can end up carrying around guilt. And we can act as if our, our lives have no value or, or no meaning or no purpose. And sometimes even when things go really wrong, we get it into our heads that, you know what, this must be God punishing me now. This must be him punishing me. Why do we do this? Why is it that, that feeds that insecurity within us? And certainly it's not, um, it's not a new phenomenon. You know, right here in this 2,000-year-old letter, Paul is reminding people that they've not forsaken, they're not abandoned by God. He's been saying things like, you know, you were dead in your transgressions, but now you're alive. You were without hope, separate from God, but, but not anymore. Saying things like, it was a mystery, but, but now it's been known. And remember, Paul is, is writing to believers. He's writing to people that should have known this stuff, but of course it isn't enough to just know it. They needed to be transformed by it. So how does this happen? How do we arrive at a place where Christ is dwelling in our hearts and, and not just popping around on a Sunday for an hour? Just two things I want to suggest to you this morning, two things to think about. Firstly, I think that we need to learn to see ourselves as God sees us. To see ourselves as God sees us. So how does God see you? Well, he sees you as somebody who's worth dying for. Somebody who he loves deeply. Not uh, a mistake or a, a, a cosmic accident or a, a screw-up or a failure, but as a precious child, beloved. And despite every failure, every angry word, every drunken mistake, every substance misuse, every lapse in judgment, every fit of rage, every single wrong turn that we make, he loves us still. His love is wide enough that it covers all of our crap. 
all of our rubbish, all of our sin. It's long enough that it lasts our entire lives, all of the mistakes that we've made in the past and every single mistake we will make in the future. It's deep enough that it will never run dry. It will never give up on us. It will never stop being poured out for us and it's high enough to lift us out of despair, out of every pit that we find ourselves in. Whenever we arrive at that place of thinking, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I've failed you again, and clearly you've had enough, his love is able to lift us out of that point and remind us that he loves us still. This is the love that that Paul prays that we would have the power to understand, that love that surpasses all knowledge. And as we look at ourselves in the mirror, I want us to be able to say with confidence, I am known completely by God, and I am loved completely by God. Because he's the only one that really knows us completely, isn't he? Every thought that goes through our head, every action that we do in secret, every hidden thing, he knows. He knows us completely and he still loves us completely. And I really want you to hear that for yourself today. You are known and you are loved by God. Secondly, in addition to seeing ourselves as God sees us, I think it's really important that we are invested in a community of love. Paul prays that we would have um, the power together, together with all of the Lord's holy people. In fact, this whole prayer is not written to us as individuals, but us as the church. It's a little bit hard to spot in the English translation, but when Paul uses the word you, it's, it's plural. It's actually closer to you all, or y'all if you're from the American Deep South. Because Paul saw the love of Jesus manifesting itself in the community of believers. He's already spoken extensively about the church, hasn't he? The the glorious inheritance we have in God's holy people, how we're members of one household. Jesus is our cornerstone. He calls it the dwelling place of the Spirit, the church. And so now he prays that together, together we might experience the vastness of this love. And you know, I, I, I know at the moment it's kind of, it's hard, isn't it, to have that sense of togetherness. I know with some of us watching online, some of us in the room, you know, it can feel like we're a little bit divided at the moment. But we really need to work hard not to lose that sense of togetherness, that we are one church loving each other, supporting each other, looking out for each other. And that we can experience this together, that we might intentionally explore those depths, not just that surface level, you know, hey, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right, you. But real, genuine love and care for each other. That we might see how long and how wide this love really is as we create a community that is welcoming to all, that, that stretches beyond all boundaries and division and says, this is a place that you can belong because the love that we celebrate, the love that we enjoy together is so wide, you're in. And that we might lift each other up so that we can experience the heights of his love. And he concludes this prayer with this this beautiful doxology. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is worked within us, us as the church. 
and to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So Paul really is talking about us too, all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, we have such an amazing power that is at work among us. That's why our mission statement is to reach Tamworth with a life-transforming love of Christ because we believe that it's love that truly changes everything for us. And we also believe that it's best seen in the community of faith. I wonder um, if the band would come and join me as I just begin to, to wrap up this morning. I'm going um, to finish with a prayer in a minute. Um, I'm going to use Paul's prayer because it's better than mine. Um, but I really want you to, to hear these words this morning. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe you're someone who you just, you've never kind of really experienced the love of Christ for yourself before. You've, you've never recognized that. You've maybe just not known that truth that you are known and you are loved by God. Or maybe this morning, you're just in a place where you're finding that love really hard uh, to grasp. You know, as I was speaking earlier and mentioning some of those thoughts that sometimes go through our heads, those thoughts of being a failure or a screw-up, those thoughts of feeling abandoned or separate from God or feeling that God is somehow finished with us or done with us. Maybe there was just something there you thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's the track that's been playing in my head this morning. I want you to really hear these words afresh. That you are known and that you are loved by God this morning. I want you to let these words just speak to your heart as we pray them together. And we're going to pray them in the room. And, you know, you guys at home, please join in as well. I'm going to read a different translation um, to the one I read earlier so we can hear it afresh. But I'm going to read both the beginning and the end of the prayer from chapter 1 and chapter 3. So let's just, um, let's just close our eyes, just block out all distractions for a minute. And let's just hear this prayer and pray this prayer together. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his holy ones. And I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. And then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor, favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. And then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. And then you'll be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love, 
beyond measurement, that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this.